Hello and welcome to the Tell Me If You Can podcast, a podcast where I have the honor of unpacking stories of amazing women. My name is Ogechi, your host, and today's guest is Patricia Taylor. Patricia is a 30-something wife, mom, and California native turned Georgia peach. In today's episode, we talked about how she faced her fears and stepped boldly into her calling to speak up against racism and to cultivate a space where necessary topics can be discussed with grace, truth, and love. We talked about who inspires her, where she finds her confidence, and what it means for her to be Black and Christian in this day and age. Let's take a listen to Patricia's story. Welcome, Patricia, to the podcast. For those of us that don't know who you are, can you give us a quick bio, what you do, and where you're from? Sure. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited. So my name is Patricia Taylor, and um, I am from the Bay Area, California. But about five years ago, my family and I moved to Georgia, which is where we currently reside. And I am a wife of 10 years, a mom to three beautiful girls, ages eight, five and one just turned two (laughs) um and i have been a stay-at-home mom ever since having my first child Um, and i actually worked and did monetized blogging for several years and so that was really a tremendous way for me to make connections with people online um, and also to be able to help my family financially and that was you know a fantastic opportunity But just over a year ago, last April actually, I shifted gears and have really been focusing on anti-racism education and activism. And so I have a platform on Instagram and Facebook and website um, that's all dedicated to that. And so um, that is what is keeping me busy along with the family these days. And we're gearing up for virtual virtual school in just uh, a week from, from now, next Monday when we get started so that's a little bit about me oh yeah that gearing up for virtual school and uh you living in georgia i think you guys start a little bit earlier correct than the rest of some yes. other parts of the east coast yes mm-hmm. nice so we that you guys are the guinea pigs <laughs> right i'm like i don't really want to be but yes we are <laughs> So what was it like growing up, and do you have a favorite childhood memory? Oh, that's a good question. Um, Yeah, I I mean, I love California. I definitely miss it, but there's some things I don't miss. You know, there's no no perfect place. (laughs) I don't miss the traffic, that's for sure. Oh, yeah. Um, I do miss the weather, though. I do miss the weather. Woo, this humidity. It's like, ugh, ugh. That's a whole other, <laughs> that's a whole other conversation there. <laughs> um, but, you know, I just, I really, like, I had a, a fairly quaint childhood. We just grew up in the suburbs and um, just had a really solid friend group. I, I really, I played softball competitively, and so, so many of my, my memories were surrounded up around softball and the teams that I played on. So I started when I was seven, and I played all the way through my senior year in high school, and so that was a huge part of, of my life. You know, we played um, tournament ball, so we played nine months out of the year, and we were gone most weekends and just traveling constantly, and 
I just look back now and especially being a mom uh, myself, seeing the dedication that my parents had, you know, going to all the, the areas for, you know, for my softball games. But that was really just like, just all that came with the camaraderie and the team sports and the travel and the time with family. Um, that, that was definitely like one of the highlights growing up for me. That is so cool. Yes, I applaud parents that do travel sports with their kids because I can't even imagine the dedication and the early morning practices. And did you do softball in your school and in a, in a separate league or just separate from school? Uh, I did both. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so, yeah, it was double the fun. <laughs> There are a couple of years because of some politics that happened in high school that I chose to do track and field, um, which honestly I despised. I, the only reason why I did it is because I was the only one of like my, my close friends who did softball. The rest of my friends, you know, they, they were runners. So they're like, well, just come run with us. And I was still playing softball with my tournament team. But um, I actually don't like running. So track and field was just not my favorite thing. <laughs> um, but I got to be with my friends. <laughs> but I yes. was still doing softball with, with my tournament team. So <laughs> Oh, that's so funny. Always I love always on the go. Yes, I love track and field. Um, but I also don't really like running, so it's weird. But I loved, like, I was a thrower and sprint. So it wasn't as much running as a long distance oh, nice. runner. But now looking back, I, I'm amazed at how mm -hmm. much running I could get through but um that is so yeah that travel experience and the bonding that you have with your family I imagine it's um there's probably so many funny stories related to traveling with a team and shenanigans that happen as a result of that and also stories that your oh, parents yes. probably could tell um but I I have to say that in following you on Instagram and hearing and seeing how boldly you step into conversations, especially those around being anti-racist, you seem so bold and confident. And I always wonder, are, and some people have always been bold and confident and they tell stories about their boldness, even as a young woman uh, or like a little girl. Um, were you always this bold or mm -hmm. if not, how did you grow in personal confidence and passion? Oh, that's such a great question. Um, well, thank you for, for saying that. Um, I do take that as a compliment, but I also, like, it. I get flushed when I hear things like that because <laughs> internally I'm like, I'm not really, I'm really not. <laughs> um, I, have, I have had to work um, to get to this point, and it's still, I would say, honestly, it does not come easy. Um, I've always been just very compassionate. I've always had a lot of empathy and and definitely like had a strong bend towards justice but um and I've been grateful that you know I really do try sincerely and I'm imperfect like everyone but I do try to see both sides of things and I think that's always you know I have been that friend growing up where you know two friends would come to help them resolve something you know so that that has kind of always been natural inclination but when it comes to sharing like like really strong opinions, you know, boldly, and especially like you said, with something that is such a hard thing to discuss, and it it so often leads to um, some just difficult territory, like racism or anti-racism work. Uh, I, it's scary, and I actually really stalled out for a while. Like I 
the first time I ever wrote anything that had to do with racism at all was back in September of 2016. And that was with my other site that I mentioned previously. Mm -hmm. And I was terrified because, you know, again, that was more towards like mommy blogging. And, and so then all of a sudden it's like some thoughts from your black friend. That was the title of that um, blog post, which is where the title of my current website comes from. And I just, I have had all the thoughts, like how will people receive what I'm saying? Like, what will they think? And, you know, what if I, like, what if they misinterpret, like, what I mean here and this and this and that? You know, it's my experience. So it, it's also very, very personal. And so mm -hmm. what happens if someone takes my personal experience and they and they just toss it aside, you know? And so yes. from that point, though, that was really, like, the stirring. But it wasn't until, again, last year where I said, I'm stepping into this dedicated space. And then it was still another nine, 10 months before I was like, okay, I've, I've just been putting my toe in the water and I haven't jumped in completely. And last year, like three or four times, someone spoke to me that delayed disobedience is still disobedience. And every time I was like, oh, okay, Lord. Okay, I hear you. I hear wow. you, but I'm afraid. <laughs> you know, I'm just, I'm afraid. And so at the beginning of this year, I, I just had this, I mean, it was, of course, like multiple things that happened, but even before the movement that we're seeing happening in our in our society right now, the last few months with Breonna Taylor and Ahmaud Arbery and George Floyd and the many others, it was at the beginning of this year in January where I just had this epiphany, like, like you are getting in your own way. Like I'm the one getting in my own way. And I know that God has given me this passion and he has given me these gifts and I need to step into it and, and really like run, not even walk toward my calling and, and have a lot more trust and faith in him. It's easy to say that I do, but I wasn't actually walking it out. And I was letting the fear of man, um, you know, overtake me more than, than what God had placed in me. And so I uh, just have worked really hard to see myself through God's eyes and to believe that I am who he's called me to be and to know that if as long as I am staying closely connected to him in this process, every step of the way, as long as I am seeking to honor him, um, then that's really what it's about. And so I can't let the opinions of others or their judgment or the what ifs or the maybes um, stop me. And so I just think that it's been, it's been really a practice for me, a practice of like actually putting my words into action and putting that trust and that faith I say I have in the Lord into practice. Wow. Yes. I love, first of all, I love the quote that that person told you and you heard a couple of times, delayed obedience is still disobedience. And it actually took you hearing it a couple of yes. times. You know, sometimes God whispers right. and then he has to keep like <laughs> knocking you at the head. Like, hey girl, I'm talking exactly. to you. Listen to me. I was being hard-headed on that one. <laughs> do you think maybe, yes, not the lack of confidence, but do you think the lack of um, courage to step fully into it. Like you put your toe in with that first blog post from your mommy blog. And then you might've been like, well, you know, I was brave. <laughs> and then you didn't, yeah. you weren't supposed to put your toe in. You're supposed to take that leap into the pool um, and be washed over by all the graces that come as a result of it. Um, I kind of imagine like someone climbing up a ladder to get onto a diving board and you've, the accomplishment of climbing up the ladder is still brave, 
but you haven't taken that full leap yet. And so in terms of confidence, maybe not in this topic, but in general, did you ever feel like you shied away from big opportunities to take a leap of faith in other parts of your life as well? Oh, yes. that I actually love that visual. Um, as you were talking, I was picturing myself climbing up the rungs of the ladder, and then I would make it to a certain point, and then I would take some steps back down. And then I'd climb back up, and then I'd take some steps mm, back down. So yes, was that's life. Up and down, up and down, up and down, right? And then I finally was like, okay, I'm getting up there. I'm diving off. Um, yes, that's so true. I, you know, I... Um, very hard on myself and that's again all part of this you know um like working as a as a recovering perfectionist you know uh you know it can be hard when you think oh things have to look a certain way or else i'm not going to do it you know or i have to make sure i get it quote unquote right um or or i'm not going to do it and so yes i actually had like gosh it's such a tremendous life lesson that i learned um when i first started my my, my mommy blog, um, this was eight years ago now, within the first year, an old friend of mine from, from college um, had his own like private Christian publishing um, company. And he reached out and said, hey, you know, have you ever considered maybe turning, you know, these stories, it was, you know, devotions and, and faith-based stories and, mm-hmm. and stories on motherhood uh, were what I was writing mostly. He said, would you ever consider turning those things into a book? And internally, like the deep, deep part of me, you know, that just feels so sacred, the things that like those, those dreams that you have that you're scared to share with anybody because, you know, like, what if, like, it just feels like you're so exposed, but in this deep, deep part of me, I just, I felt like, gosh, that would be a dream. You know, like I, I would love to write someday or, you know, I love writing. That's my passion. And, and, you know, I would love to do that. But, um, so I actually responded and said, oh, I would love more information. I have no idea what this looks like. I have no idea what this means. Um, but sure, send me more information. So he sends me the information and this is a true story. I never even opened up the email. Oh my gosh. Because I told myself, I told myself that I was not ready. Wow. Um, this was not like me praying and me being like, okay, Lord, you know, I need guidance and direction here. I need clarity. It was me just determining, nope, I, I just, I'm not ready for this. And so I took myself out of the equation. And even though um, that was not the last time that's happened, that is really something that I like don't carry in like this, this way that holds me down, like as far as some heavy, deep regret, but it's, it's a lesson that I am committed to learning from and not repeating that mistake. You yes. know? And it, again, it's been, I've had those moments where I've been stuck and, and I found myself drifting back into the, that mentality of like, ah, you know, all the things I think I can't do. And so much of it, I really can't do not on my own, but I have the Lord with me. So I'm not doing it by myself, but that was a situation where I just straight up said, I, I don't think I can do it. And so I didn't even try and I don't want to, I don't want to be that version of me anymore. I love that. I don't want to be that version of me anymore. And, you know, that incident and reminding yourself of that is a reminder that you held yourself back. No one else. I mean, you had this opportunity and you alone held yourself back. You didn't even at least take that step on that ladder to discernment and then decide that it wasn't the right 
opportunity for you. Um, and so many of us right. do that, right? We, we hold ourselves back. We choose failure first before even attempting. We basically have made the decision mm-hmm. that we alone can do things, but our God is great. Our God can do the impossible. So even if our minds cannot fathom it being for us, if it's been placed in our lives for us, however it needs to happen will happen for you. And so that's, I mean, I love that. You don't want to be that version of yourself. And as you learn these lessons and choose to overcome barriers that you place or other people might place on you, you're, you almost like evolved. It's like you're the next level, next generation um, of Patricia. <laughs> And this is like right, in, right. in like 10 Patricia years, 2.0. yes, and in 10 years, you're going to be Patricia, like 30, whatever, 0.0, and you're going to look back right. and you probably, I think you're amazing now. Imagine how much more there is to come. So I think that continual like acceptance, but also you give yourself, you don't beat yourself up for this missed opportunity, right? You're not like treating yourself terribly or being bad on yourself. And so that part of self-confidence is realizing that you have the confidence to do great things, but also knowing that even if you don't show up for yourself or if things don't happen, then you're still great in your own way. And there's still things that are possible and great to come for you in your life. Did anyone inspire you growing up or who inspires you now, especially as you do this work? Wow, that that list is long um, as far as people doing this work. But I'll start with, well, growing up, honestly, uh, my mom is just was always like the epitome of strength to me. And, you know, sometimes I wish she didn't have to be, but she was just always a champion and a cheerleader for me. And my dad is as well. My dad passed away from cancer 10 years ago, but he was always in my corner. He was always on my side and and just for me, you know, and speaking out and calling out the good in me. And so I just, I'm grateful to, you know, have always had such a supportive family, a family who rallied behind me and believed in me and, and, you know, just believed in whatever it is that I wanted to do. They're like, okay, well, we're going to do what we can to help make this happen for you. Um, And, and so now I think it's, it's so interesting because just what you were saying about, um, like we may, might view it as a missed opportunity, but we can trust God and his timing and he doesn't, we might disqualify ourselves, but he hasn't like written us off and been like, Oh, well you missed it. So the end, yes, <laughs> because yes. even with starting this, this page that I have now, like when I started it, it was so clear to me. Um, it, it began after a time of fasting and praying. And, and I was like, abundantly clear that I need to start this and this was again like April 2019 and I still like was was doing the whole tiptoe thing like I was like okay I'm gonna sort of kind of do it but not really and and so when it was coming upon the my like one year of me starting this page I was actually falling back into that mentality back into that mindset and and feeling down on myself and just being like oh man it's been a year I haven't really done the things I set out to do and oh you know and and then I'm not gonna lie getting into a little bit of the oh woe is me you know (laughs) um but I like I just kept going and I just said you know what I can make a choice I can 
continue to stall out or I can be resolute and I can start posting more frequently and sharing and, and, and that boldness that I feel internally, I can let the world see that and put it out there. And then just the timing, like, I just felt like I was shot out of a cannon because all that mm. lined up right when things shifted in, in our society. And then there was this like huge, like, like movement taking place and happening right before my eyes. And suddenly, you know, there was like, obscurity to people tagging me on Insta stories with, with Latasha Morrison and, you know, um, gosh, like there's such a long list of like all these people that I admire and these accounts that I like, I look to and that I am like, wait, 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 me? Like, why are you tagging me with like Rachel Cargill? What? Like, no, you know, like, yes. <laughs> like, like I'm not even on anywhere, like on that level. Like I, you know, just people who, who are, are, are just tagging me with these other, like, like major in my mind, like major, like anti-racism, you know, advocates and educators and, um, the women of truth's table and, you know, just so many others that I have long admired. So then it went to this interesting thing of like this imposter syndrome and like, Oh no, like I even say it on my page. I'm nobody's expert. I'm just a black woman living in America. Like yes. don't think I'm an expert, you know, like, like, don't, like, don't think that I'm, you know, I'm not them. I'm just me. But it, the beauty in that was just the Lord continuing to affirm that, I don't have to be anyone but me. You know, there still is a place for me in this. There are so many people who are engaging in this work and so many people who have done this long before me and there have become so many who will come after me, but there is still a place for me in it. And so I just think that it's a beautiful thing that um, when I was like right at the point of feeling like, oh, maybe I missed it. I wasn't doing enough over this last year. And then I things just took off in that way. And it was just the Lord saying so clearly, like, keep going. You didn't miss it. You know, <laughs> like keep going. Um, oh, I just wanted to say that you're so amazing and I feel the same way when um, I get tagged with you in any kind of thing on Instagram that um, you're, you've been doing the work for so long and I just feel like why I just got here and I don't know why I'm even being in the same conversation as someone like you. And so I recognize that, but like you said, the questions of who am I are valid because we all have questions, but there's a place for all of us within this movement. Um, and who you are and your background, your, your experiences, even next to yet another black woman or black Christian or whatever is still unique because you are you and only you can talk about your experience. And someone else might relate to a nugget of your life that they may not relate to someone who's been doing this work for decades. And so I try to remind myself that and I think you're you're reminding people listening that whatever it is, whether it's anti-racism or you're super passionate about the environment and there are scholars that talk about the environment. I mean, you can, you can read all types of research things on the environment. <laughs> But you as maybe like a 20-something or even like a 50-something that 
has discovered this passion for composting might resonate with someone else that's in the similar situation with you in a way that a scholar or a famous speaker may never resonate with. And that's the beauty of God creating us unique and beautiful in our uniqueness because that uniqueness adds to the tapestry of the story of what it means to be and live this human existence and to separate yourself oh, or so not include yourself in the arena is a disservice to that story and it's a disservice to your personal uniqueness um so show up <laughs> and you know take up yes. space oh i love that <laughs> and it's yes. not up to you, you know to say you- you're not gonna be impactful because you will be you may not see it but right. your voice deserves to be heard Mm-hmm. Yes. And you know, what you said reminded me of like a critical turning point for me was, was realizing I was allowing way too much space and thought and energy to all of the, the what ifs and the, and the people who I thought would meet me with negativity instead yes. of focusing on the people who have been waiting to hear from me. And I don't mean that in like a weird, like... <laughs> Like, like you're body, amazing, like, yes. you know, waiting to hear from me, you know, like I'm amazing kind of way, but, but the, to get even one message that from another black woman that says, thank you. I feel heard and seen like that, yes. like that right there is, is enough for me. Like just that right there is enough for me to be like, wait a second, wait a second. I'm not doing it for the people who, who aren't going to listen to me anyways, or who are, you know, ready to try to contradict what I'm saying or to come up against or to do the trolling or whatever. Like that's not that's not who I'm doing this for. I'm doing this for the people who maybe don't have the ability or can't find the words. Um, because we all, we, in different ways, we all speak and we all tell our stories, but there just might be some people who everyone isn't, you know, in the public arena, you know, doing this, but maybe they're just looking for someone to, to articulate what they've been feeling and, and to be able to be an encouragement in that way, to be able to edify others, to be able to, you know, because I know what it's like to not feel seen, to not feel heard, to not feel valued. And so if, if my words can, can do that for someone else, then it's all worth it. I think there are three things that um, I think of when it comes to you and also just people. I know you from the Instagram space. And so social media could be a great tool. And I think for you, it's a tool to create one, like a rally cry and, you know, or for lack of a better term to kind of shine a light to darkness that people might want to ignore. Um, that's one thing that you do great on Instagram. The other thing is providing tools for people. Like you said, they might have a similar experience or they might be an ally that wants to engage in this conversation or someone that wants to um, create a space for dialogue and they don't know what to talk about or the facts of the issue. And so you educate on those facts. And then the other thing is like a community of other, and what I've gained the most personally is like, yes, I know, um, the pain points in society. I know that a lot of the facts because I am trained in diversity work, but what I really, really longed for was a community of black people of faith that could be like, yes, I see you. I too live this experience and we're working on this together. And 
I can't tell you how many times I've cried tears of joy. I, it's almost like I was thirsty and I didn't know it <laughs> until I was overwashed <laughs> with refreshment and seeing people like you. Um, so many, I can't even like, Black Liturgies is a page that I love on Instagram. So many people oh, yes. that like, oh, yes. it's almost mm-hmm. like a magnifying glass oh, into my soul. And um, those are just three ways that people like you and other people can do anti-racism work. But you do all of them and more. You have your your podcasts and blog blogs and everything like that. I've seen this question a lot on Instagram. And so I wanted to ask you, when did you first realize that you were black? Wow, that is... Um... Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry so... to hit you with a deep one. <laughs> No, no, it's a good, no, it's really good because um, as we were talking, I thought of, so Jamar Tisby talks a lot about this and others as well, but he calls it a community of affirmation mm. and whether that's online, like it is for you and I, um, or in person or just whatever, it is that important to have that community where you don't have to show up and explain who you are before you get there. You can just show up and be, you know, yes. fully like in your skin in every way completely. And that is, that has been a critical part of this journey and, and my confidence and it is my ability to be able to keep going. Um, you know, I, growing up, I was definitely always that one, maybe one of two black people in my classes, um, in my neighborhood. I don't think though that I was really aware of what any of that meant until middle school. I mean, I looking back, I, I could say looking back, it happened earlier. Um, but I just didn't have the, the, the words or the wherewithal at that time to identify what was going mm-hmm. on. But, you know, all through elementary school, it was, you know, touching my hair and microaggressions like left and right, you know, all the time. But I just, I didn't have the language for it. But the most um, overt situation that happened when um, I was in middle school and I had an incident that happened at a dance that I went to and, and it was just such like a bizarre situation for me because first of all, we know middle school is a special time for everybody, <laughs> but this felt time. like acutely different, you know, like it's yes. a rough time, but this felt really acutely different for me because I, I always had friends and I always, you know, was just, um, you know, pals with everybody, you know, male and female. And, and I, I came home from that dance feeling like really, really rejected and my my friends um, and my male friends who were mostly white had had just really um, ignored me. And you know, there was just some specific things that happened during that time. And my mom sat me down on my bed, and, and I remember just crying and be like, "I don't understand. I'm friends with everybody, but like, how come they all ignored me?" And she she told me that I was a chocolate chip in a sea of vanilla ice cream. And that was how she, she helped me process through that, you know, I am not going to be everyone's flavor. I'm not going to be everyone's cup of tea. And there, there is going to be a difference for some people when it comes to moving from that realm of friendship to, you know, growing and maturing and, and viewing me as something different. And I was like, Oh, okay. Wow. So there were definitely many incidents that happened prior to then, but that was like that turning point moment for me. Wow. I just, I mean, that's a good, I mean, that's a great analogy. Kudos to your mom for coming up with that. I'm sure she had a million thoughts going through her mind. Like, 
gosh, I thought I never yes. had this conversation. And so how do you I explain? know. We actually talked about that recently. Wow. What did <laughs> she like, say? Well, you did good. <laughs> yes. Well, she just said just what, just what you did. She was like, okay, like I, I, I knew that at some point this would be coming, but I really hoped it wouldn't. And I was just trying to think, how can I, how can I break this down in a way that she'll understand? But in a way that's that's not going to bring more hurt, but also bring more bring clarity. And so I just I was like, Mom, you've done good. <laughs> so I'm just like, please, Lord, give me that same, you know, foresight and wisdom when it's time for me to have these conversations with with my little. Oh yes, <laughs> I'm convinced that parents, you know, the Holy Spirit, one of the um, gifts of the Holy Spirit is wisdom and that, that jolt of wisdom happens in those really awkward moments where you're just like, I can't even fathom the words to say right now and then they just happen. I truly believe that's the Holy Spirit. Um, and so your mom was just like, you know, blessed with wisdom at that time. But that's also, yes. you know, an analogy mm-hmm. that kids can get. They like food. <laughs> Most kids like chocolate and ice cream so (laughs) you can think of that visualize it and also the way that she said that you like your flavor would not be desired by anyone did not I was my follow-up question was going to say was it a positive or negative one and I think if I'm to interpret what you just said um that experience at the dance and feeling rejected by them but not understanding why that was negative but the way your mom explained it not being someone's flavor is almost neutral it i mean it sucks to not be chosen but it's also like you can understand that there's so many options and it's inevitably someone may not desire you did you get am i incorrect i could be completely wrong but did you get a negative feeling that you would that maybe not be someone's um desired flavor no, you know, I I actually, um, I think it was just an awareness that I needed to have, mm-hmm. you know, like it, it, it hurts that thought of being like, wait, what do you mean? Because, you know, I'm, I'm still thinking, but if I'm friends with someone, you know, like why, like it, wouldn't that be enough? Um, and so I think for me, it was just like that recognition of, huh, okay. It doesn't mean though that there's something wrong with me. This, this means that there is a situation that people have been raised differently. They have been in some situations told explicitly, you know, who to engage with in certain ways and who not to engage with in certain ways. And sometimes it's just a preference, you know, um, (laughs) that just happens no matter what you do or say. And so I think that it actually helped me to feel um, more empowered because it helped me with an understanding and there are still hurt feelings, you know, they're still like, wow, like, I didn't really want to believe that it was true because if it was just easy and simple, then it's like, no, it's fine. Like whoever likes whoever they want, you know, <laughs> especially like being in that, you know, middle school age, it's like, Oh, if you just like somebody, that's all that matters, you know? Um, but just knowing that that's not the re- that that was not the reality was a wake up call that I needed for sure. Um, but it, it didn't, I, I love that the way that my mother presented it was like, but we're not, going to allow this to define you like this is what it is but this does not define who you are yes and that's the difference the world as it is does not Mm -hmm. have anything to do with the value that you bring as a person that lives in this world and it's something that unfortunately if you think about it 
other parents of different races don't necessarily have to have that conversation um, in the same way right. with their children. And so to think that you already are mentally preparing for when you have to have this conversation is rough. <laughs> it's not fair, but that again, <laughs> to not have to think about that is a privilege. And so sometimes um, that's an example to give and talking about when you first realize that you are black is a great starting point to sharing your story in a way that doesn't then exploit any traumas that you might, unless it was a deeply traumatizing time, doesn't exploit you in your trauma Mm -hmm. related to your race. Um, Because then if you ask someone that was white, was the first time you realized they were white, maybe they, you know, I have friends that have lived internationally, so they probably realized it because of that experience, but it's the same. They can also then empathize what it would feel like to maybe be the one of three black girls at a school. And it obviously by sheer numbers, you might have a crush on a white kid. And then you're <laughs> like, their parents would be like, mm, absolutely not. And then, then you realize like there's a difference because of what you look like. Um, right. For you. That has happened to me too. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Yeah, no, like, just with, like, a, a a date to a dance and, like, the parents, like, I could hear them. Like, it's it actually happened more than, on more than one occasion, but on this particular occasion, I could hear the parents, like, when we were meeting at our friend's house for a dance and uh, the, my date's parents were, like, the mom whispered to the dad and she said, um, see, I told you she was black. And I was like, what in the world? <laughs> you know, and it's kind of like the irony is that my husband's white, but I'm like, whatever. <laughs> but yes. at that time, I, that was crushing. Like, I remember just that being like, whoa. Okay, that was later on. That, that was in high school when that happened. But wow. anyways. And your name, on. Patricia, I, I, I mean, it's not, my name is pretty obvious that it's like um, not an American name. And so you kind of mm-hmm. like break that off from the jump. <laughs> Yeah, but well, I well, and then the Patricia. thing is, that my friends call me Patty. Oh yes, and man, my yes, Patty, and, and going. So it was definitely like, wait, Patty, like a black girl named Patty. It's like, yes, yes, I am. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, and that's, I mean, that's unfortunate, but it's such a common story and experience that still happens today. I know people that have dealt with that with their kids and proms and having to have mm-hmm. a conversation with their 16, 17-year-old um, son or daughter, like, sorry, this person's parent. Like, it was, or even worse, you allow your kid to date, and then it's like, okay, well, now we're, you're going into the real world. This is cute in your high school bubble, but this relationship mm, has to end yes. now because you're going off to college or you're going out into the real world, and those people that you date now later in your life you're more likely to marry and so i don't want you married like it was cute for you to date this person mm-hmm. of a different race but to marry to possibly procreate with absolutely not and so i've and, right. and we were in 2020 and this these things are happening so it's a common occurrence and a sad occurrence but the op the those occurrences are happening fewer and further in between obviously the ranges by the times that we're in, I feel like some some of those things that may not have happened are now re- reoccurring because people feel validated in their racism, mm-hmm. um, which is 
unfortunate, but also not. I, I'm pretty jaded, so I'm like, nothing surprises me. <laughs> Even racism, right, I know. nothing surprises me. <laughs> I'm like, oh, we're out here bringing more, like, it's almost like people went and purchased in bulk Confederate flags just to, like, showcase their internalized racism bright like more boldly than before and so i'm like well okay so we're going back in time okay not shocked but <laughs> s- still stunned um i wish i was surprised more but yes I'm like, oh, i know <laughs> like here we go again uh what does it mean mm-hmm. for you to be black and christian that what does that intersection look like and do you feel like you're fully represented in your faith, in the sphere of faith, in that Christian world, whether it's online, in person, whatever. Oh, yes. I'm like, rub my hands together for this one. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously. it's It's been that, like, my, my faith journey as a Black Christian woman has been something that has been defined and redefined. Um, I didn't come to know the Lord until college, and I was at an HBCU, um, Tuskegee University. Shout out to you. Um, but <laughs> so this, the church that I went to after I accepted Christ um, was a predominantly black church congregation. And that was my first experience. I mean, growing up, you know, I would go to church with a friend, you know, on occasion, things like that. But, but my first, like, church I called home was a predominantly black church and when I moved back home after college that was the same demographics with the church that I was a part of and then when we moved to Georgia it was different and I was a part of a predominantly white church spaces and I I didn't readily identify like the differences that were happening but then I felt them (laughs) because um there I hit a, a time frame where I realized that I felt like I had to shrink a little bit of that, of who I was. Um, and, and I'm no longer in that same space or a part of that particular body um, that I have in mind when I say that. But it was such an interesting, you know, experience for me because I didn't really have to think about what it meant to be a Black Christian until I was once again in the... Um, just wasn't represented. There weren't a lot of other black Christians in this church space that I was in. And then I said, wait a second, like I, I want to be wherever I am, whether it's a multicultural space or a predominantly black space or wherever I show up, I want to be able to not just want, need to be able to show up fully and completely as me. And one thing that I take exception to is, is this whole idea that I've got to separate, you know, my identity as a black woman from who I am as a Christian, because God made me this way. He knew exactly like who he created me to be, to be from the outside in, from the inside out. He knew the color of my skin. He knew, just like you said, that we were all part of this, this woven tapestry. All of us together collectively represent the diversity of, of who God is, not just some of us, not, you know, and this is why I don't, I don't get down with this whole like colorblind, you know, ideology, because I, that's not what it is for me. I, I want yes. you and need you to see who I am completely as a black woman and a Christian. They, those two are not in competition. And, and so, but I, I, I had to really, um, 
like learn that and get that into into my my head and to believe that completely and to know what that meant because I was coming up against you know these these thoughts these things that were that I felt were um, like kind of pressuring me to choose one or the other and then having to go through that process of realizing I don't have to make any choice I don't have to make a choice I can be fully who God has has created me to be and I know I'm a Christian I know I love Jesus I know I believe in God you know yes. I don't have to prove that I don't have to prove well I'm a Christian first before my black before my blackness no I am black and Christian Christian and black is not you know something I have to dumb down the nature of who I am in order to make people feel comfortable or to somehow prove that I'm a true blue Christian. So, you know, I think that I've just like, I, it was a hard thing for me to, to recognize that at that time, this was some years ago now, but I, at that time I was, I was in this space where showing up fully as me was not, was not really, really what was going to be accepted. But then it was good because then I was able to say, this is not for me then because I don't want to be anywhere where all parts of me are not welcome. Yes. And I think that, again, you were talking about that progression of confidence and not just confidence in speaking about issues that might be quote unquote controversial, but also confidence in knowing and placing that boundary for yourself that if this space doesn't serve me and by serve me, meaning not just like but a buffet style of Christianity, but serve me in the sense that they accept me and I'm able to show up as my full self, then I can, you know, take my amazing, beautiful self and plop it into another. That's the beauty of Christianity. There are many different churches that you can go to. And if this mm -hmm. community <laughs> is not welcoming, then you know what? I'll find one that is. And if, and there are plenty yeah. of um, Anglo dominant communities that are truly welcoming and have done the work to mm -hmm. be, diverse and not just by performance, but actually truly inclusive and thinking about decisions that they make in an equitable way. And so they exist. It, they might be harder to find depending on where you live, but you don't have to suffer. Now, someone might argue, well, why leave if you can be that change maker? And what would you say to them? Um, that you don't have to be a martyr. <laughs> yes. um, you know, you, you don't have to be a martyr. And that's, that's where I think a lot of people end up getting really hurt. And, and there's clearly, there's a difference. Like if we're talking to believers, we have Holy Spirit, we have prayer, we have discernment. You know, I'm not talking about just church hopping. I don't like what that one person said to me on yes. Sunday. And so I'm, I'm out, you know, I'm not talking about that. Like this is deep. If you can't fully show up as, as yourself in a space. And if, if, someone is, is asking you or, or requiring you to dim the light of, of who God's created you to be or to only bring part of yourself to that space and really ask yourself, why am I here? Am I here because he's, God is, is not, God is not saying, hey, go be a martyr for me. Go put yourself in this situation and be hurt and be stomped on and then say, oh, it's for God's glory. You know, like there are situations where you have prayed and you have discerned and the Lord has said, stay because I have a purpose for you in this. Oh, that is absolute truth. That is absolute truth. And, and he's going to show you that though. And, and he's going to, you know, reveal like one step at a time, keep going, keep moving, keep, keep going forward. 
Um, but if you're hanging on just for the sake of hanging on or to try to prove something or to say you're strong or you're, you know, you can, you can hang, ask yourself why. You don't need to do that. You don't need to do that. You know, you, we can plant seeds, but it is God that causes the increase. It's not us. You know, it's a whole lot of responsibility we put on ourselves um, and a whole lot of pride, honestly, if we think that, you know, we alone can be the one who, to change everything. There are some situations and some environments that uh, have strongholds and it's very toxic and it's going to take a lot more than, than just one person showing up and, you know, being the token to, to see a change happen. And so um, you have to pray and use discernment. But if you feel peace with, with the Lord and after praying, um, and, and really taking some time to sit with it and getting into your word and discerning that this is no longer the space for you, then go and have peace. Go and have peace and continue praying for that, you know, congregation and for those individuals. But you keep flourishing and keep growing where you are, are meant to be. Yes, I think also, like, like you said, that constant prayer and knowing what decision you're going to make for yourself should come, the answer should not come from, you know, just you, it should come in dialogue with God and knowing that, um, you have really thought this through, prayed through, played it out and, um, analyzed if your role is more harm to yourself than it is even possible good to the community that you're hoping to transform by your presence. And then also be honest with yourself. Are you just a pew sitter? (laughs) Like, did you just show up on a Sunday and you don't feel welcome? Or have you gotten involved and then you don't? Like, what process Mm -hmm. have you taken towards transforming this community? Because sometimes it's, it's very easy to just, like, look on the outside and see the glaring lack of diversity or the lack of any attempt Mm -hmm. at diversity, but the lack, but also what I've learned is you have to show people what they don't know. They may not know that, Mm -hmm. Hey, the reason why you don't have black families joining this, this church is because they don't see themselves in this community. And maybe they have to be more intentional in being welcoming or inclusive, or that's just the kind of community that they have but they partner with other churches or other community members and you may not know that and being on the outside without doing discernment includes prayer, but sometimes people just pray and close their ears and close their eyes mm-hmm. and close their <laughs> mouth and you've like, you've done nothing. <laughs> you've just spoken right. out. Right, yes, you just... You yeah. have to have conversations. <laughs> you dialogue with the people that you're hoping to mm-hmm. influence. You dialogue with God and you listen to God. You listen to those people um, and you open your eyes to the possibilities where change can happen or just also opening your eyes to the possibility that you're not the person for it. And you've, like you said, planted mm-hmm. that seed, water it a little and, you know, someone else will tend to that plant but it may not be yes. you that is the person that to be to be tending to it. So um, right. a lot of humility. I think you said that. Yeah, a lot of humility. You said it so succinctly. If you're being so harmed in the process that you can't, you know, be fruitful. Um, mm-hmm. If you can't help, then then how how are you then convincing yourself to stay in that situation? You know, there's potential. All there's potential for growth, even though. 
there's so much that we see that's just ugly and bad and wrong, <laughs> to put it nicely, to put it mildly, I should say. There, I do, deep down, believe that there are still, and I know and we know, there are still good things. There are still people who are, are seeking and growing and, and genuinely, truly wanting to change things. So it could be that situation as well. And if that's the case, then, then Godspeed, you know, then more power to you. But, but if you are thinking you have to sacrifice yourself on the altar and, and you are in a state where you are, you know, being hurt constantly and, and, and you, you, you can't, you know, operate fully as the daughter or son that, that God created you to be, then there's a problem and, and it's okay to make a change. Yes. Yeah. Or step out and step back and re cause all of that also does harm and it draws out energy from you that even if you think you're making steps towards progress, you're not doing it in an efficient way. And so you might have to step away and people do it all the time. You know, they might go like, if pastors and priests can go on sabbaticals, why not the rest of us? Like, think of like, okay, I've, you know, I've had this dialogue with this Bible study group that this person keeps making comments that are really aggravating me. Let me go ahead and find another Bible study group or create my own. Or, you know, let me just pause on Bible study and I'll read the Bible on my own. And re-enter once I've maybe re-educated myself on how to have more efficient dialogue, listen to some of the things that Patricia has to say, or read some of the things that people share. And now I'm rejuvenated and re-energized, and I can re-engage in that kind of dialogue. That's fine as well. But the constant, like you said, martyrdom, sometimes that comes from vanity because we feel good about, mm-hmm. you know putting ourselves through the ringer and we sometimes people want to say like I'm aligning my suffering with Christ and I'm just like girl but like you don't have to like do it this way it doesn't have to be yes or I'm so strong look at me I'm superwoman no stop all that you're human you're human (laughs) God wants good for us he desires good for us and like that goodness doesn't always have to come from you know walking on your hands and knees in like a a a sea of thorns and then you know feeling good because really that's vanity and we see that in the bible when jesus is saying especially for lent like let's not have people see you suffering because you're fasting or looking disheveled because Mm -hmm. you're fasting um there's suffering that is beautiful and life-giving but you don't also have to like wallow in it and swim in it in the name right. of mm-hmm. um, changing the minds of others. Because again, you're putting a power that truly belongs to God. God is the one that can change people's hearts and minds. You might be an agent of change, but you are not God. And you cannot fully change people's hearts and minds. And so anything less than that or anything more than that is for me, vanity. <laughs> Once I realize that, mm-hmm. I'm just like, well, <laughs> I've done my best. And you know, you exit the conversation and you feel good about it because you've done your best. You've given all you can to that part, to that person. And you've been a good steward of knowledge and compassion. Um, they may or may not return it, but that's, that's fine. And you move on. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to ask you how you maintain balance. You're a mom. You have this like public platform, but I'm sure you do so many things. Actually, before this, 
I wanted to ask you, when you moved from college back home, did you choose a predominantly black church or was that something that was a luck of the draw? Well, that was, um, it just happened that way. Excuse me. <clears throat> I met a friend when I was in college who was from my same part of California. Got whose it. dad was a pastor. And so since I didn't have a home church growing up, when I would go home to visit, I would just visit his church. And so that's where I ended up um, landing permanently when I was back home. And so, yeah, but that's, that is where I met my husband. So, you know, we weren't exclusive. <laughs> I think that's one thing too, that people get so wrong. It's just, uh, that's a whole other, this is like going to be for part two or something. But, um, <laughs> Dating? You know, cause I mean, I would get, well, dating that, okay, that's part three, but just what it means to be like in a predominantly black church space. You know, when I, when I had people, friends of mine, who, white friends of mine, to clarify, who were uncomfortable with the thought of me going to an HBCU, a historically black college university. And I was like, but why though? Because um, every other institute is predominantly white. So it's, you know, when you're in the majority yeah. culture, yes. you, don't, you don't think about the fact that, well, I'm just in the majority. And so if you're not white or not in the majority culture, then, then you are the one showing up as like, you know, the one black girl or the mm -hmm. one of this or the one of that. But, but to say that there's a space where black people can be in the majority is somehow, you know, wrong or offensive or, oh, but that could be harmful or damaging. Well, no, I don't think so, actually. It's, it's very no. affirming. And no one ever said that you are not also welcome to attend. But, this yes. is, you know, there are few spaces that exist like that. And so, but that's how I ended up at that church. Did you seek um, out an HBCU? You know, I did um, only after I didn't. Uh, there are no HBCUs in California, as nope. big as the state is. There are no HBCUs, so I had never heard of um, HBCUs. But my mom took me to one of the high schools in our area, in our city, had a black college tour night, and so there was representation from the different uh, black colleges and universities there, and. I only, Tuskegee was the only HBCU I applied for because at the time I wanted to be a vet and they are known for their uh, veterinary school. And so that's where I ended up going. I was, I was accepted into some other colleges and universities, but I went and visited Tuskegee. That was the only one I went and visited and the history um, just blew me away. And for the first time in my life, being in the majority was like, it was a mind blowing experience. I mean, going from California to Alabama for, for college was one thing, definitely <laughs> a culture shock, but also going from being, you know, that one black girl to being, you know, in a space where there's a beautiful sea of blackness all around me. I'm like, whoa, 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 hey. <laughs> so it was, it was definitely uh, an unforgettable and, and transformational or transformational experience. I feel like we have to we have to do multiple parts because now I have all these other questions. Um, <laughs> I know like, I took you away from your other questions. No, no, Sorry. that's fine. I don't, know, it I don't remember better. what it was. In the, in like an earlier episode, I talked about um, I'm similar to you that I was one of like a very few black females in my classes, and certainly I some of my classes I could go multiple periods and not see a black male in my classes and um, going to college, 
I went to a predominantly a PWI, which is predominantly white institution um, in Pennsylvania. But for whatever reason, and I truly believe like God was like, you need this. Like, like you're saying the community of affirmation, I gravitated. Most of my friends in high school tend to be from all types of backgrounds. I had one other Nigerian friend because obviously we find each other. Um, I had Asian (laughs) friends, like Hispanic friends, white friends. And then in college, almost all of my friends, save maybe two, were white or were uh, black. And then two white friends. And this is in Pennsylvania, which it would be easy to have the opposite. Um, And I just Mm -hmm. think it's so hilarious that this is how my friendship groups happened. And like you said, it was like the first time that I'm just like, I didn't have to represent what it means to be black for all of my friends. I didn't have to explain Ebonics or um, African-American vernacular expression to my friends, which I didn't even know that was like a truth, a language. I was taught for many years that that was not a valid language. And I, you know, I had to like, you know, code switch and that's a whole other conversation. But I didn't have to code switch. I could just be myself. (laughs) And I could be like my awkward, nerdy Nigerian self in a group of different kinds of blackness. And, you know, I'd Mm -hmm. get flack on talking the way I talk, (laughs) which is fine. But um, it's still like if we wanted to talk about um, what it means to feel like, especially like if if I was still at, at college at the time, when this situation of um, protesting and and reckoning is happening, I would have had a very much of a safe space to have that conversation in a way that I don't have now and as an adult. And I can only imagine the beauty of being in HBCU. And you don't have to start the conversation with justifying that racism exists. Everybody knows it. Everybody's experienced it. Maybe, maybe not. And um, you might have a few that have internalized racism and you have to deal with that. But there's a common understanding, a shared experience. And so the conversations and the dialogue can go even deeper. Whereas now I found that, especially in the spaces that I exist in, whether it's work or in church or in just like my best friends who I love dearly, dearly, I still have to explain why I feel the way that I feel before I can even go deeper into the conversation. So it's exhausting. And there is a need, like you said, for those spaces, even if it's for four years, eight years, whatever of your life Mm -hmm. to be able to just bask in the beauty of what it means to be black and embrace it, love it, especially those formative years of your life. And I'm sure that's encouraged you along your journey. Do you have a favorite memory from college? I mean, one that, well, wanna, in college. <laughs> one, one that we want to, one that we want to, one that we want to share. You know, uh, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I just, I honestly, um, I mean, well, I mean, of, of all my memories, just, just coming to, to know the Lord, like that, yeah. that, you know, was, was, you know, by far changed my whole life. You know, um, I sang in the choir. And, you know, in a similar way to just my experience with softball, um, like you spend so much time with them 
with, you know, it, it's like a one credit course on paper, but it's, <laughs> it's a huge commitment in reality, yes. you know, um, like we did not play the Tuskegee University Golden Voices Concert Choir. We did not play. Oh, and no. so, you know, every day was like two hours of, of rehearsal and, and, um, and you just, you build a family, you know, with drama and all, um, you know, but you build a family. I thought of that. I know, I, it really I, is. I it really is. And I was like, wait a minute, they really just only gave us one credit. They really just give you, they float you one little credit. We out here singing our hearts out. But <laughs> uh, but no, I think just that, that camaraderie, um, just, just really learning and growing, uh, that was, that I can be fully confident in, in the skin that I'm in. You know, like that, that was, was the, the biggest, like most beautiful takeaway and lesson for me. You know, it was number one, Jesus, and, and number two, in that, um, being just more in love with who he created me to be. Well, now I'm going to have to ask you, what was your favorite song? Ooh. Um, oh, I don't, even me is one of them. Mm. We did a lot of uh, Negro spirituals, a lot that was composed by William L. Dawson. And so pretty much like any and all of those songs, um, even me though, was another one that just, that just song, it just makes me weep. <laughs> uh, even me, Lord, even me. So that was, that's the first thing that came to my mind. But we also have um, a, a Christmas uh, concert that I'm actually, where I am in Georgia is, is not too far for me to visit the campus on occasion. And, and I try to go for the Christmas concert. Um, and that's a huge deal. It's the biggest concert of the year. And just all the songs that we sang for Christmas, that was always really special. Yes, those concerts are like, ugh, those are the best. Those are probably the best experiences that you can have. And I, I can't even, I can just feel like the vibration of the vocal cords and the sound and how beautiful it must have yeah. sounded. Like, amazing. And so feeling, especially at a time when you ha are like a baby in your faith, I can only imagine how like nourishing that was for you and life-giving that yes. was to be a part of that. Absolutely. And so that is so beautiful. So now is the part of the podcast where I ask you a rose and a thorn. A rose is something great that's happened in your life lately and a thorn is a bump along the way. So what is one rose and one thorn that you've experienced lately? Okay, lately. The rose, I feel like I should start with a thorn, but the rose is coming fast. It's coming first. <laughs> um, <clears throat> you know, the rose is, is learning to celebrate even in the midst of hard things, um, which I, so I guess... I just have a, I love celebrating other people, but when it comes to like my own opportunities, I get very squeamish, <laughs> you know, I feel very like uncomfortable with it, but just even having opportunities like this to be able to chat with you and to be able to join, um, upside down podcast as a co-host for season five to have opportunities where I'm, um, you know, just speaking and, and sharing more. Um, it's just, it's really been such, such a gift and such an opportunity and, and so affirming. Um, and, and that's just been something that's been really, really special for me to see how, um, when I chose to, to be obedient 
first and foremost to God and to step off of this like in-between space where I was existing for so long and then to see just how he has has truly gone before me and even how I said earlier in the conversation I felt like I was shot out of a cannon and I felt like oh my gosh it's all happening too fast to be able to see the beauty and how all along this whole time that God has actually been preparing me already um, that has just been definitely uh, you know beautiful for me to, to see and to see the fruit of that and, and it encourages me to keep going um, and I think the thorn is, is that just the pain that is consistently happening um, which I think just goes right back to our, our, our walk as, 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 you know, people of faith, you know, that joy and pain exist simultaneously. Um, COVID has been challenging and, uh, I walked through one of my very best friends lost her mother just a few months ago. Wow. And to go through that with, um, and to, you know, assist her in planning a funeral in the midst of COVID was just horrific, you know, because you, you, you've already lost the person that, you know, is your, your mother who gave you life, who brought you into this world. And then you can't even mourn for her and, and to do so without these, these regulations and these stipulations. And, um, and that was just so hard. I was grateful though, that I could be there for her because everything had to be very, you know, tight and, and kept very close. Um, but that same friend just got married last weekend. So, <laughs> you know, there, there was, that was a beautiful, that was, you know, it was bittersweet. It was beautiful that, again, I was able to walk with her as she starts a new chapter as a wife. Um, and then, of course, it was it was the, the bitter part of it with her mom not being there. But just to see how, um, even in the midst of this pandemic and um, more attention being brought to the racial in- injustices that have been existing all along, that there are still beautiful things that are that are happening. I like that. Um, I'm so sorry for your friend's loss, but you're right. They're intermixed with pain are always pockets of joy. And we kind of have to latch onto those to ride us through those moments of pain. And in the work that we do with anti-racism and justice as a whole, um, their joys and accomplishments that happen and victories and, you know, people's hearts that are changed along the way. But then, you know, sometimes the overall narrative that can consistently be negative or people that choose to troll or discredit you um, can cause you a lot of pain or anguish or frustration. My favorite word is anger. Um, and I've become more comfortable with anger because for a long time, I always thought that it was a fruitless emotion because what good comes from anger? Anger causes destruction. And that's how I always grew up experiencing anger as destructive. But I love, someone said it, I don't know who, I wish I could quote them, but it almost gave me permission to re-experience that emotion that um, there's a righteous anger that comes from the pain that we experience from wanting to do God's work, but feeling slighted along the way and using that to, you know, further fuel your passion and not just like, and it could be beautiful and it's okay to be angry and it, it's not dainty. It's not quote unquote women like, but 
it's beautiful and everybody doesn't have that um you and i i think have that <laughs> there are people that are great at the dainty work i am the i'm a bull in a china shop that's my ministry but there's a place for that as well um but like you said the the combination of the racial lens being or the folk the lens being focused on racism right now which hopefully continues and it's not just a moment and our pandemic really makes it hard for people to find rest because even if there isn't a, a shooting happening this week that you know of which hasn't been the case for many many weeks um there's still a pandemic happening and people are dying and people are hurting mm-hmm. and um your soul being an empath and a person of faith you want to feel for them and care for them and you can't do it all and it makes you really sad but also really angry um, because there are people actively working against the betterment of society i mean you live in georgia so Mm -hmm. (laughs) there are people literally actively working (laughs) against simple things like putting a piece of cloth over your face so I'm sure that's it. Fabric over your face. Please don't remind me. Please don't remind me. So I can only imagine (laughs) going with your, along with your friend who's like experiencing the isolation of having to plan for a funeral for her mom um, and not in a way that can draw all the people in her community that she wanted because of this pandemic and the people furthering Mm -hmm. the pandemic and like that would make me angry, like pissed off. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then it's like, what do you do with oh, that? Yes. How do you harness that towards mm-hmm. God's work? And that's kind of the battle that we always are in. But I I have so much love talking with you. And I, like I said, we could have like part four, five, six, seven, eight. But um, I don't think <laughs> people listening have things to do. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> they follow along and um, see the amazing work you're doing read you uh, your your website read things that you've written and follow along on your journey oh well this has been an absolute pleasure so thank you thank you thank you so I am on social media at Facebook I am Instagram uh, Patricia underscore a underscore Taylor and my website is called Some Thoughts from Your Black Friend. So you can find me on Instagram and I have a link tree, you know, link to all my other social media spaces. And then also um, joining season five of Upside Down Podcast. And so that you can also find at Upside Down Podcast on Instagram. And I am really excited that we are recording currently for our new season, season five. And we uh, launch new podcast episodes on the second and fourth Tuesday of every month. And so that will be coming in September. And so that's where you can find me. Awesome. And by the time this episode airs, they'll have plenty of episodes for you to binge on or a few episodes for you to binge on. So I will link um, the show uh, in the show notes as well as the link to her Instagram and her website so that you can go ahead, get educated, check it out and share with a friend. And while you're there, go ahead and um, rate and review this episode so that other people can hear from amazing people just like Patricia. Thank you so much, Patricia. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. 
I honestly could have talked and talked and talked with Patricia. She truly exhibits grace, resilience, and truth. I loved how her blog ebbed and flowed and landed on her beautiful and powerful voice in this anti-racism space. I enjoyed listening to her share childhood and college memories and unpacking stories of self-confidence, faith, and the beauty of Blackness found in a community of affirmation. If you would like to follow along with Patricia's story, and you should, please check out the show notes below, where I link to her website and the Upside Down podcast, which has episodes already loaded. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. And as always, have a great day in your amazing story. Thank you.